What a tragic and sad way to end an incredible football season and Super Bowl. For those of us who live close to the shooting, I suspect it'll be one of those events imprinted on our memory. Where we were, what we were doing, if we knew a victim or a bystander. I didn't hear any details until after the 7 p.m. Ash Wednesday Mass. I was shocked by the news, but I almost wonder if we can be shocked anymore in the sense of being surprised. It's too frequent, too common to be shocked, it seems to me. Scared? Well, for sure. Happening so close to home and at an event many of you may have attended yourself. So how can we think through this? What can we say? I mean, we can say at one level that technology of itself can't effectively solve problems. A gun, which is a type of technology and symbolic of it, can't provide its user the moral character needed to use it without causing catastrophic harm to everyone within its targeting range. Technology, whether it be a gun, AI, or Instagram, if it outpaces our humanity or moral development, becomes a destructive force for the worst himself and others, even the world at large. Notice how freedom is tied to morality, to the responsible use of our faculty to choose. As the moral character of a person or people deteriorates or is malformed, freedom is reduced. You think of the juveniles arrested as clear examples. They can't use their freedom well so its use has been constricted, restrained. But you could also think of the effect on the larger populace. Do you think there will be any more large, open victory parades? And when it sounds to me like a closed event at Arrowhead is likely, if there's another Super Bowl, with its restriction of attendance, and therefore the reduction of choice, People aren't moral enough to let them choose. Restrictions on their freedom must be imposed to keep order. I thought of this the other day with a loaner vehicle I had. Got in there, hit the button to start it, and the digital screen in front of me shows this scanner going up and down. It says scanning driver. And I thought, well, I don't feel any different. Then I began to drive it, and I gazed out at this lovely countryside, and I heard, beep, 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 look forward, keep your eyes on the road. And then I got a little bit too close to a white line, and it started beeping me again. I tried to explain there were potholes and a semi. <laughs> I wouldn't listen. And then I moved it just from the rectory across the street over here to the church's parking lot without a seatbelt, and I thought the police were after me. 
You're a threat to society, it was saying. You can't exercise your freedom well, so we're going to make it terribly annoying for you to try. Your free society is dependent upon the morality of its citizenry. As the moral quality of a people corrupts, external constraints increase, as does the power of a body to impose them. If the people can't keep the peace, a group of people, government or military, will attempt to compensate for the abdicated responsibilities. So freedom and morality are inseparable, be it with gun usage, computer usage, like hacking personal data, or interpersonal relationships. But notice that while this is obvious, our typical everyday understanding is just the opposite. We're freer, we think, the fewer restraints we have on how we use our time, devices, money. Don't impose morality on me. Don't tell me to get off my Xbox, do my homework, go to church, spend Ash, Day, Ash Wednesday with prayer and fasting. Don't limit my freedom. We're fine with the binding of freedom and morality until that binding tells us what to do. Freedom and morality are inseparable. Morality is the responsible use of freedom. And morals are an articulation of a way of living consistent with what a human being is. Killing a human is immoral not because technology says it is, or the majority of people do, but because what we are determines what actions are acceptable or unacceptable. Morals, good laws, express this. Freedom and morality then are ultimately dependent upon anthropology, on what a human person is. If we're no different than an ape, certain laws apply. If we're only matter, then we can change ourselves as we change a tree into a chair. If each person is made in God's image, then different laws of living will be in force. Obviously, then this raises the question of how our children are formed and educated. To be consumers and users of technology only? To get a job? or to be authentically human. Now, when a society reaches the tipping point or a critical mass of people whose technology, however primitive, has outpaced their humanity, then something like what happened in our first reading exposes the depravity. At one level, that's how I understand the flood. Mankind had grown so immoral that the offenses of man against man, man against creation, and man against God flooded back upon his own head. It may for a time appear differently, but evil is not without effect. The environment begins to show it, and we and our neighbors do too. Long delayed may be the deluge of our sins, but the flood waters find us. Abraham Lincoln, in his second inaugural address, put it this way in regards to the accumulated evil of slavery. Listen to these beautiful words. Fondly do we hope 
fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You know, abhorrent though American slavery was, it forms but a 250-year slice of world history. Adding in the repercussions since then brings it to just over 400 years. What would the flood of mankind's complete history be for every enslavement there ever was? For every shooting? For every offense against the environment? For every misuse of power? for every genocide and ethnic cleansing, for every indifference of the impoverished, to say nothing about unfaithfulness and offenses against God or any number of other crimes. If Lincoln saw the Civil War as the wages of the sin of slavery, what will the wages of 60 million abortions be? What would the flood be for mankind's complete history? It was a sheer act of mercy and forbearance that God hung up his archer's bow in the clouds. In Hebrew, there's one word for rainbow and archer's bow. It's a figurative way of saying, it seems to me, that God will do something to prevent the waters of our own woe from drowning us all. And it's precisely this something that Jesus announced in the gospel. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent to believe in the gospel. What God long ago promised to do, he is doing now. The kingdom in which all things are set right is at hand. It has entered into time and has made himself visible in the person of Jesus, in whom heaven and earth have been reconciled. The waters of God's righteous judgment on the whole of mankind have been poured upon his head. God has been faithful to his covenant. The bow of his righteousness was not bent against us, but against his son, our representative, whose faithfulness ended not in being dead and drowned, but in the new life which was prefigured in the flood of old. This is why St. Peter said that baptism saves you. Through it, you've been associated with the new life of Christ. You've been brought into him, into the ark of his body, the church. This ritual washing is not about ridding our body of dirt, as St. Peter said, but it's a promise to keep a clear conscience, to do the things that need to be done. That's the repentance Jesus preached. Change your mind and your heart to match God's. Be faithful to the new covenant in Christ's blood, for there will be no other one to come. For no other one is necessary if you collaborate with him. And such collaboration with God setting things right is the mission of the Christian life, which Lincoln himself seems to have said at the end of his address. 
with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Amen.